Welcome to Launch Pro, a podcast designed to help you start your own business. Today we are talking to Dr. Rick Hall. Dr. Hall is a clinical professor in the College of Nursing and Health Innovation at Arizona State University, where he oversees the health innovation programs at both the graduate and undergraduate level. I know Rick from his work as a nutrition faculty member, and he is now in this new position and doing great things. And But I also want to talk to him today about his own experiences working in a franchise business or owning a franchise. And so welcome, Dr. Hall. Tell me a little bit about your career path um, into where you are today, and tell us about what you're doing today and, and kind of what, how your career led you to, to where you are today. So I am a registered dietitian, and I've been in the food business really all my life. Um, my first job was washing dishes in a restaurant and, and when I was 15. Um, and then I went you know, to school originally to be in business because I wanted to be a business owner, and uh, took a nutrition class my junior year in college and fell in love with nutrition, um, really for personal reasons because I thought I wanted to be healthier and because of that, I, I got my bachelor's degree in nutrition. I got my master's also in nutrition. Um, and while I was doing, getting my master's in nutrition, I had been working in a school lunch program. So I was a food service director for a school district in the Phoenix area, and I was an assistant director before that for another district. And then um, as soon as I got my master's at, in nutrition, I went to the National School Lunch Program uh, as a director for the state of Arizona. Um, and kind of helped oversee all the school lunch programs for Arizona. So a lot of uh, food background, but as a dietitian, you know, I um, fell in love with the, the study of the health part of food as, as well. And, and then came to ASU um, soon after that to start teaching and taught in the nutrition program for many years before moving to the College of Nursing and Health Innovation, where I am currently the director of health innovation programs. So I run a uh, oversee a master's degree called the Masters of Health Innovation, which is, an, uh, a, is only offered through ASU online. And then I op- also oversee an undergraduate program called uh, um, health, uh, health Entrepreneurship and Innovation, which is offered at the ASU West Campus, ASU down camp- Downtown Campus, and also ASU online. So that's a little bit about my food background and, and, and where I, how, how I came to where I'm at now. Yeah. Um, so you've always been kind of an entrepreneur. And I know that about you because you know we worked together for a long time. And um, so, tell me a little bit about what inspired you to make the the leap to owning your own business. So, um, yeah, I've, I've I've always been interested in being a business owner. I've been involved in a few different startups. So, um, for the other people owned companies or were starting companies and brought me in as either a co-founder or as uh, a contributor of some port um, some sort, um, but. For me, as uh, you know, into the into the world that I that I, you know, of subway franchising, I was once visiting a local Staples uh, store and saw the Entrepreneur magazine, and they listed on that month they listed the top 500 franchises, and it was in a lot of categories. Food was just one of them, but the number one franchise was Subway restaurants, and that was um, interesting to me because I had always been interested in starting a Subway franchise. 
and uh, from the time I was in high school before I even went uh, to college. And so when I saw that, I was already working at ASU and already already was successful in my career or, or starting my career in, at the university. Um, it made me think that you know I, I still wanted to do that. So I, I actually went home, talked to my wife, and said, you know, I still want to get in the subway business. So we cashed in uh, her retirement, sold one of our, our, our rental house that we had owned, and then started uh, our first store, and that was in 2005. Okay, and then and how many did you end up owning before it was? So we built slowly, probably every two to three years, we'd build a store or buy a store. And by the time we were done, and we were, we were doing it for about 10 years, we had a total of seven stores in the, in the Phoenix area. That would be Surprise, Sun City, Sun City West, uh, Phoenix, Scottsdale areas. Um, so with seven stores, we had about $3 million in sales annually. Uh, we had about 80 employees at, at any one time. You know, over the years, we had several hundred employees because they'd come and go. Um, which was interesting because I learned a lot about human resources and working with employees when I was in the school system. Um, but it, you know, working in, in the subway franchise world, it was a lot. A lot of my our employees were younger, so they were in, they were teenagers, and we definitely had some older folks as well. But many of them were younger, so it was a different animal than than running the human resources for a school district where we had up to two hundred employees into 30 kitchens, but typically most of them were moms or, or dads, but they were uh, older and a little bit more mature. And you probably had less turnover in terms of the school district Definitely than less in, in the school district, yeah. So the uh, in Subway, you know, as, as a fast food uh, organization, I think, you know, we, we saw a lot of, a lot of uh, turnover, as you would expect. Um, I, I want to say that that the average turnover rate in the fast food industry is something like 400%. So every three months you're expected to turn over an employee. At the same time, we had some employees stay with us the entire time we were in Subway. So we hired one girl when, uh, in 2005 and she stayed with us all the way until 2015 when we sold. And so we had a probably lower turnover than a lot of companies, um, but we still had the average turnover for the entry level employees. Okay, great. Um, so. You know, you'd mentioned that Subway was, you know, something that you wanted to do since you were quite young and that it's been a very successful franchise that had been on top of the list of top 100 franchises for a number of years. Um, <clears throat> did you ever think about um, opening a independent operation rather than a franchise? And what led you to choose a franchise over independent? Well, I like the Subway, I like Subway food. I always had eaten Subway. Um, but I liked the model, and I liked that when I saw the bro first brochure to owning a Subway franchise uh, when I was in high school, it said you can own your own store and get into it for $30,000, which was really low cost. But um, that wasn't the case when I got into it, because it was many years later. It was much higher than that, probably a couple hundred thousand. But at the same time, um, Generally speaking, the low cost of entry into a field uh, in franchising where um, the brand is already well known made it an easier decision. It also, when you when you get into a franchise, there's a couple of things that benefit you. I mean, one is that you have the brand recognition. I can open up Rick's Sandwich Shop, and I can go try to sell that concept to people and try to convince them to come in the door. 
or I could put um, a subway sign on the building and people will automatically just come. In fact, I typically would put, when we build, the, when we build a new store, we put the subway logo up and the sign up before we were open to let people know we were coming. And it was interesting because we'd be in there kind of still building the store and people would be knocking on the door trying to come in to get Subway because they recognize the brand. And so that brand recognition drives sales right away. But the other thing it does is it, it, comes, with a, it comes with a formula of, of a business model that has been proven and has worked. So they know what their food cost should be, they know what their labor cost should be, they know how much, how many pickles you should put on a sandwich, how many uh, slices of ham you should put on a sandwich, and when you can take that up, uh, that model, and apply it in many places, um, there's benefits to that because you can kind of already have some benchmarks for what your food cost should be, what your labor cost should be, and then finally, I'd say another huge benefit of the franchising world is that um, you gain the access to the purchasing power of that franchise. So uh, I would pay a lot less for a case of ham than the average person would pay for a case of ham. And so our food costs are naturally very low because when Subway goes out and puts a uh, uh, request for proposals for ham, every ham producer in the United States wants that business. So they're gonna really lower their price as much as possible while they still make a profit, but making it so low that, uh, that we as franchisees get those, those food costs very low. And when you have the purchasing power of, you know, 30,000 restaurants, it makes for cheaper food costs. So it makes for a higher, higher likelihood of success, I think. And so because of all those things, I think that's why they're rated high in, the, in Entrepreneur Magazine. Um, but also uh, lenders are, le are more likely to give you money. And that was a big, big part of it. Because when we talked to lenders, we talked to SBA lenders about getting their business started. Um, they knew Subway. And they, you know, you talk to someone who's in the su in, in, into uh, uh, financing for franchises, they know the brands and they know which ones work and which ones don't. And, um, and it was a lot easier for me to get a, a loan for a Subway than it would be to get a loan for Rick's Sandwich Shop. Great. Um, so tell me, are there any, do you think there's any disadvantages of going franchise? Are there any drawbacks or any things that you would caution people about? Sure, uh, there are lots, you know, and there's so the one 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 of the biggest drawbacks of being in a franchise world is you don't get to call the shots. Um, as a business owner, you want to make decisions that you think will benefit your business, whether that's changing your products, or whether that's uh, marketing a certain product over another, um, whether you know how many employees you have, uh, what signs you put up. Um, even uh, what you sell and what you don't sell is all determined by someone else. And so um, that's probably the, the biggest drawback, I'd say, of franchising in general, is that you, it, it's also a benefit that you don't want every owner selling whatever they want, but at the same time, because um, you need that um, continuity. So when you go into a, uh, whether it's a Starbucks or a Subway or a McDonald's or wherever you go, you want the same menu in every place. And if, mm -hmm. if one, if, uh, as a customer, so as a customer, if I go into uh, a Starbucks, I want my venti soy latte, and I want it to taste the same wherever I go. At the same time, if, as a Subway owner, I couldn't just start my own new sandwiches, and I couldn't take off some that I didn't think were selling very well. Sometimes we had to sell things like soup, for example, in a time period where nobody was buying soup. But we still had to offer it. So because that was what the franchise 
the franchisor said. This is the other thing that they said is you had to be open a certain amount of hours. Well, not every location should be open the same amount of hours. Some may, may it may work to be open 24 hours. Some may, it may only work to be open 10 hours a day. It really depends on the location. But they determined that we had to be open a certain amount of hours per week, and we had very little flexibility with that. So those are some of the drawbacks um, that we saw. And um, the, other, the other thing, the biggest drawback that I know of, in the, and I've seen this in other um, franchises as well, whether it be like a PostNet or UPS store or a McDonald's or a Subway, is that the franchisor will make decisions on your business that you don't, you can, you don't control like when you have to remodel. And so they want their stores to look fresh. And so um, every so many years, maybe it's five years, maybe it's seven years, they'll change the whole look of how their stores are gonna be. And the store has to close down for a certain time period and remodel itself. And it's sometimes hard to make a profit in that case. I mean, some of the stores that are really profitable, no problem, you know, we can, we can shut down for a few days and, and remodel it. And the remodeling cost might be anywhere from 70,000 to $100,000. Other stores are barely making it and barely profitable. We'd still have to close down and still have to spend that money and get a new loan on a store you already own or a store you already had, had a, a loan on um, just to remodel it because we were told we had to. So those are some of the drawbacks that I could see that, that I, and I see that in any franchise organization. If, what would you advise people if they're researching um, a franchise? What kinds of things would you want to look at before making that decision? Well, by law, every franchise organization has to give you certain documents to have you look at in advance that um, that basically disclose every time they've been sued. And so the problem is that with that is a really, really big document. It's a big binder of stuff. And so you get the opportunity to kind of see the, the, the pros and the cons and the drawbacks and the lawsuits that they've had. Um, but if I were, no one really reads all that stuff. It's like signing, I agree to the terms of agreement on your computer. There's just so much information. But what I would recommend for anyone is, is number one, to talk to current owners. Talk to someone else who's already done it. Um, and most owners are pretty willing to talk to new people. And I did that. In fact, I called you know, an existing owner and I kind of felt like he tried talking me out of it, and I was not exactly happy about that because you, you know I was pretty pretty much already determined that I wanted to do it. So the fact that he wanted to talk me out of it and spend an hour on the phone with me um, made me a little angry. But at the same time, I later after I did buy the business and after I did get to know him uh, and became good friends with him, I realized that he really was doing me a favor because. It's not all roses, and I think a lot of folks go into business in general, including restaurants, and including well-known ones and franchises, thinking that it's gonna all work out and it's gonna be easy, and it's not easy. And um, there were times where, you know, I'd work all day at my regular job, go into one of my stores to check up on it, and something would go wrong and I'd be there for four or five hours after working my regular job. Sometimes, you know, I, I would clean toilets. I would, um, I would deal with broken air conditioning units. You know, it was, it was a lot of work. And so I think anyone who came to me later and asked, you know, what, I'm thinking about doing the subway thing because I want to go, uh, my wife and I want to go do something in another country and we just want something to support that. And uh, that's, <laughs> I had to always tell them that's not going to work. You really need to be in your business and you need to be working in your business. So. Uh, after being asked many times, 
about uh, franchising and specifically Subway, I uh, wrote a long email to a friend of 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 my of of the problems associated with being in business, and I said uh, at the long, at the end of the email, if this still sounds appealing to you, <laughs> let let me know, and I'll be glad to um, forward you the information on how to how to get started. And I afforded that email probably to. I don't know, a dozen or two people that have asked me since, and none of them have gone forward with it. Again, I don't want to talk people out of it. I think there are some good things, but it's a lot of work. And if you're thinking it's going to be easier than what you're currently doing, it most likely is not. And I think that's really a good good message that people hear. Sometimes people think that, oh, this is going to be fun because I really like to cook or I really like to be with people. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that it's good to know what you're getting into so that you don't find out that this is a bit, a bit more than you expected. Um, what would you say that a person, before they went into that business, what their background should be? How much experience do you think they should have prior to making that decision? Well, I mean, one thing I just said a minute ago is you should talk to owners, but uh, I also actually recommend you go work in a store. So uh, whether it's a restaurant or any other type of business that you want to get into, go Go work in that business. You know, find another owner who does something similar, and get an opportunity to go see if it's actually for you. And I'll tell you this: uh, lenders actually ask this information. What background do you have in this? And they don't care that you have a PhD in hospitality management, because I do. But they don't care about that. They what they care about is what is your background in food? Have you ever have you ever made a sandwich? Have you ever worked in a kitchen? Do you know um, what it's like to operate a kitchen? Do you know what, anything about human resources? And so whether you like food or not, it really doesn't matter. Can you run a business? And at the end of the day, in, in franchising or even in independent uh, restaurants, um, it's a business. And a lot of students and a lot of people I've met that really like food or really good cooks um, really don't care or not interested in the business part of it. But at, at the end of the day, it's a business. And you have to make money or you will, you will close. So you have to understand food costs, you have to understand labor costs, you have to understand all those things. And the, the lenders care about that. So I would say, number one, you have to know the business. Number two, you have to know something about finances. What, what worked out for us is that my wife happens to be a CPA. So most lenders like that, that we talked to. They're like, you know, they wanted to see our resume. So I'd send them mine and we'd send them my wife. So she's got a CPA background. That saved us a ton of money in bookkeeping costs because a lot of owners would hire a bookkeeper and then hire someone to do their taxes, and we didn't have to do that because we had my business partner was my wife, and she could do those things. And then I had the operational standpoint. Okay, so it sounds like you know there's a lot of challenges to this. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say were the positives? What did you enjoy about the process? Well, um, I enjoy the, the people, so I like people, and I really enjoyed having employees. We had um, we, made, we made good friends who were uh, working with us for many many years. And I really enjoyed that. And, and I also enjoyed the customers. We had customers who were repeat customers for many, many years. Um, back in the day when we had subway stamps, we'd sta we put a stamp on someone's card. You know, some, some uh, repeat customers, we just keep their card in the store for them. They would just come in, we'd make their sandwich before they even got to the door because we knew what they, all, we, they wanted because they'd come in every day. We had one particular uh, gentleman, his name was Jillian, and he came in twice a day, Monday through Friday. And one day I figured out, you know, how much he how much he spent a year in our store, and I thought, man, this guy's got more more ownership in the store than I do, <laughs> because he had been spending so much money there. So it's really important to 
keep really good customer service because if you lose a customer like that, you've lost thousands of dollars over the course of a year. On the other hand, if you keep people like that and you keep them happy, they'll keep coming back and they'll tell others. So I like the people part of it. I liked, um, I, I liked the fact that I was a business owner. You know, I liked the fact that we could, I felt like we were contributing to the economy because we were really employing people. Not just our employees, but also the employees who drove food to our stores and the people who pick lettuce and the people who grow tomatoes. And I, I like small business and I, li I think small business drives our economy and I've always enjoyed that part of it. Payroll was one of our, our more, most expensive um, expenses, uh, our most costly expenses, but I really enjoyed payroll day. You know, I loved being able to deliver the checks. I prefer to deliver myself. And so I take uh, a pile of checks to every store and hand deliver them. I could have had a courier do that, but I liked doing that. I liked that people had worked hard, they wanted um, to work, which is a good thing, and they were rewarded for their work. And so it was an agreement we had that if you work here and do well, we'll pay you. And I really enjoyed that. So I enjoyed participating in the economy and, and, and employing people and, and keeping, um, and, and having a good product that people liked and having good customers and good employees that we could talk to on a regular basis and, and get to know. I listened to a podcast about finances and one of the things he recommends is that you don't start a business unless you have a either the money put aside yourself or if you do it as a part-time job at first so that you're not completely dependent on that. Mm. Because, you know, so what would you recommend? What would you recommend the situation a person be in before they start a business, financially, personal financial? Situation. I can tell you, we probably wouldn't have made it, and we definitely wouldn't have grown like we did if I didn't already have another job. So my wife continued. My wife, as a CPA, continued to work uh, in corporate accounting, and I continued to teach it at, at the university um, while we built the business. And the result of that was we didn't have to live off that income. So for for the first three years, while the business was building, we were paying off loans. Um, we didn't have to make money, so that was really nice that we had something else. We also had benefits from our employers instead of having to get those benefits or pay for them ourselves, so it saved us a lot of money. Um, but I do, I do feel like you should have, you know, I've heard as much as six months of, of expenses saved up before you start. Um, you know, one of the first franchisees told me that it's going to get a lot easier after about nine months, but the first, you know, several months you're going to be married to it. And he was right, because the first several months were really hard. Uh, the benefit of for me is that I could um, hire a lot of people because I couldn't be in our stores, I couldn't work our stores because I was I had another job. Um, but I had enough money that I could, uh, for a while, lose money in the business because we had uh, saved up enough to where if I had overextended my labor costs at the in intentionally, so that we could get en enough staff that I didn't have to be there. Um, then we could we could run the business and keep it keep it going, uh, but there were many months that that we would lose money, um, even after ten years, and that's because you know sales would go down in the summer, but at the same time our expenses would go up, and that's because electricity is so high, and your electricity costs double in the summer because trying to keep your air conditioning running, you have an air conditioning unit go out, that could be a three thousand dollar re replacement. Um, yeah, we have, we've had stores flooded. We've been robbed three times at gunpoint. Um, so there's a lot of things that can go wrong that all of a sudden one or two months you're not making any money or you're actually losing money. So you have to have something saved up in advance and you have to prepare for those rainy days. So when you are making money, you can't spend it all. 
even though you want to, you have to like save it and keep it into the business as much as possible and, and really try not to take too much profit out for several years. I don't know if you remember this, but one time you were talking to me about some of, I think this is when you were first opening your first one or so, somewhat in the new phase, you mentioned you, some of the regulations about building codes that were a little bit frustrating. Um, were any of those surprising to you or were they cumbersome? Yeah, so what, uh, what's interesting about our stores is that we were, we were in different cities and different, one of our stores wasn't even in the city at all, it was in the county, was in the county area. So we had to deal with different cities, different counties, different building inspectors. Um, you always have to deal with the health inspector but they all have their different rules. And so you might please the health inspector, but not please the fire inspector. And you might please the fire inspector, but not please the city inspector. Um, one of the more challenging ones for us was actually the one in the county because uh, the city of Phoenix can pump these out pretty quick. You know, they, 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 they're used to it and they have a big department to, to, to review and, and, and change uh, or make recommendations for changes so you can get approved. But with the county, um, they're really cash short and cash poor, and they would a, a lot of times outsource that. So they'd have consultants and other folks that would do the, the, the building code reviews, and so that would take a lot longer. So it took a lot longer to get that done, and then getting the fire uh, inspection done on that was a long, long time as well. So every city was different. Every store was different. Um, one of my biggest frustrations was we bought an existing store that was already built, that already was profitable, that we knew the financials before we bought it, and then we bought it, got into it, and the health inspector came out and said, oh, you need to move this sink to over here, you need to add a vegetable sink, and you need to do this and that, and I thought, what are you talking about? This store is already here, it's already existing, it's already been here. They said, oh yeah, but if you buy an existing store, when, when changes, the old owners were grandfathered in, but the new owners you have to, it's like starting a new store. So if, if once a change of ownership has happened in a store, you have to get it up to code to the current food code. Well, that cost me like $40,000. So um, unexpected expense, not something I saw in the profit and loss statement. I didn't know, the, the, the owner who sold it to me didn't know, but all of a sudden I'd have to like invest all this extra money just to get it, just to keep an existing store that was already operating to continue to operate. So yeah, very frustrating. Um, I, I, you know, overall, I supported what they, the recommendations they were making. I certainly would have done it building a new store, but it wasn't something I expected in advance. So I think you got to, I think you have to, unex, I think you have to expect the unexpected, especially when it comes to building an operation, um, because you have a lot of people to please. You have to be in, in a franchise world. You got to please the franchisor, so they actually design what, what, what equipment you need and everything in there. Then you have to please the, uh, the city, and you have to please the county and you need to please the, the food inspectors. And, um, and everyone needs to approve it. And so um, you really get less and less say over what goes in your stores and where it goes and uh, how often uh, you get to update things. So um, those types of things were somewhat frustrating, but at the same time, um, just a cost and a, and a part of doing business. A friend of mine, um, he recently had a fire in his restaurant, mm -hmm. and <coughs> the insurance, of course, paid to have the fire damage fixed, but when they went to go reopen it, the inspectors came in and said they didn't have a restroom close enough to, they had to build an extra restroom mm -hmm. because the number of seats per um, restrooms wasn't enough. Wow. 
And so he ended up closing the business because the cost wasn't going to be paid for by the insurance company because they're only going to replace what was broken. What was broken, yeah, right. what, was, what they lost. And so he ended up closing up the facility. Hmm. And so I think it is important to recognize and to, to have that little bit of extra cash on hand for those emergencies. And sometimes, you know, we have to say, okay, this isn't, this isn't, gonna, isn't financially viable. Right. I listened to an interesting talk the other day about a man who said that we always make it sound like quitting is a bad thing. Hmm. But there's sometimes when yeah. quitting is a good thing. Sure. When you recognize either because, you know, it just isn't working anymore. Um, so tell me why you decided to get out of the mm. franchise business and and then also, you know, in general, when people should, you know, say, hey, this, this isn't working for me. Mm. Well, first of all, we, all, my wife and I always had intended to eventually sell. We, that, that was never a career for me. That was a business, kind of like people own, some, some people own rental houses and they just have other people rent their houses and helps pay for their mortgage and eventually they sell it. It's kind of a nest egg. I sold, we sold faster than I expected and I think a lot of it was related to the economy. So, you know, in 2008, you know, the economy started going down and it stayed low for quite a while. And then Subway had this, this test of this $5 foot long and one franchisee started it in, I think, Florida. And it grew nationally and stayed as a $5 foot long and it stayed for years, and we never did that in the past. For some ways, and just like any uh, business, would slowly increase their prices over the years and over the cost of living increases. And um, the only way to keep people coming in the doors during the downturn economy was to keep our prices very low. And so our profits started going down. And when our profits started going down, we had to find ways of staying profitable and find ways of staying in business, so we had to take out a lot of services, for example, Every, every one of our stores had a weekly window service. So we had a, uh, another service would come, another company would come in and clean our windows you know, in the front. We also had uh, every week another company come in and clean our, sanitize our bathrooms. So we had Swisher come in and they would sanitize our bathrooms once a week in addition to the regular cleaning that our employees would do. We also had a company come in and change out our towels and our, and our carpets and a lot of extra services we had to cut completely and our employees just had to pick up the extra slack because we really didn't have the money to, to cover all of those and stay profitable. So those are some of the things we had to do during that time period. Um, and it, it enabled us to stay profitable. We weren't staying as profitable as we were before the, before the downturn economy. And then some political things had changed. You know, we, you know, the Affordable Care Act came and we were told you're going to be at over 50 employees, you have to pay health insurance. And we, you know, we're, we're hiring 16, 17, 18 year olds who, many of them didn't need health insurance, but we still had to cover that or pay a fee for that. And so if you had over 50 employees, we were, we were over 50 employees. We had 80 employees. That'd be another expense. And then the last thing that was changed um, politically was the capital gains tax were, were increased from five percentage points, from 15% to 20%. And so all the signs kind of pointed to this might be a good time to sell for us. You know, get under 50 employees, get, um, escape some of this capital gain tax that was coming our way if we sold after 2012. And so we did, because the, the difference in taxes were like $70,000 to whether we sold in one year or the next year. So a lot of things like that happened. We had already intended eventually to sell, it just happened a little quicker than we were expecting it, and I think a lot of it was related to the economy. Um, have no regrets about building it, about maintaining it, about selling it, and uh, 
to my knowledge, every store that we sold is still in business. So that's a good thing. So uh, people are continuing to make it work and continue to make their stores profitable. Um, and how they do that is, you know, changed over the time over the time period that we've been out. But that's those are the things. Those are some of the factors of when, when we sold. All right, great. Well, thank you so much for sharing the information you did to, with us today because I think it is important to hear both the positives and and the negatives about owning a business. I think sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to jump right in, and they're not prepared, and then that gets them into trouble. Um, but there's so many opportunities for for growth, mm-hmm. you know, both financially and personally. I think when you you make that jump, and for me, it's always been a bit of a challenge because I'm a little bit of a scaredy cat to make that jump. Yeah. So what would you say if people say, oh, I want to do this. I really want to work on my own, but I'm a little bit afraid. Yeah. How would you, you know, how could you encourage them to get past or to make the decision that's that's right for them? Yeah. I do think you have to um, have a little bit of guts, sure. But I think I, one thing that I've learned over time is that many entrepreneurs are actually risk adverse and they find safety nets outside of the business that they're starting. So for me, it was continuing my my regular job, my wife's regular job. Um, for others, it might be uh, keeping, uh, not not putting all your money into it, but you know, keeping some money on the side that you can keep, um, or or being or having a significant other that uh, has a job in addition to that. Um, but I do th- I do think especially I, I think especially um, younger people, and I mean younger, meaning I don't know. 40. I mean, you really, you're still pretty young in your 30s. I think, um, and even people in their 40s, I think, I, I remember specifically saying to my wife at one point, what do we have to lose? If we lose everything, we just start over. And I've always known that if I lost everything, I could go get a job. You know, I could get a job. I could work at McDonald's. I could be a, I wouldn't be long before I'd be the manager, you know, and I could always, so if we lost everything. I knew we'd still eat. I knew we'd still be able to find shelter for our family. And so I think you just have to come to terms with the fact that it's okay to lose, it's okay to fail. You know, most entrepreneurs are taught these days that failure is actually part of succeeding, you know? You fail forward, so you, 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 you take the risk and you try it and you see what happens. And you, you, you gotta be quick to also make decisions to change your business model as needed and not be afraid to, um, change what you're doing and so as long as you can make decisions that uh, that enable you to stay profitable enable you to uh, keep your business in in play I think I think you'll be okay but like you said earlier I think sometimes you just have to come to the realization that maybe it won't doesn't work and there's a time to quit and there's a time to stop that doesn't mean you did a bad thing you've learned a lot hopefully you've hired other people or employed other people in that time period um, and you've contributed to economy, and you've tried something, and, and you've learned a lot through the process, and I think that's a good thing. I like that. I like that. Um, and so I think what we're going to do is close with that. And so thank you again, um, Rick, um, for meeting with us today and talking with us about this. I think it's going to be really helpful for our, our students. Thank you.